Hey everyone, and welcome to this week. Oh, this is not this week. <laughs> welcome to this episode of In Flight. Uh, I'm Sol. And I'm Norm XP. How you guys doing today? And welcome to quarantine time. No. Um, yeah, we hope We hope you guys have all been well during these times as it seems as if most of the world has begun to lock down with the coronavirus rapidly spreading. Um, Norm and I thought it would be interesting to share a little bit what we've been doing, maybe to give you guys some inspiration to get through this, because I know it's personally hard for me having to be stuck inside a lot. I've been running, uh, but I think that I might have to stop doing that. I was Before we actually recorded, I told Norm about this because the cases in New York have gotten astronomically high, and I'm not sure if I'm comfortable going outside and risking it since there's a lot of people in my neighborhood who have, are also quarantined and are also going out. So that's one thing that I'm dealing with, but I think overall it'll be all right and I'll figure it out in the end because I've been working on getting guests on the show for you guys and also um, playing a little bit too much video games here and there, but <laughs> <laughs> making sure I also do some more productive things like um, something that you guys might not know about me is that I play the cello and um, I am tr currently working on an arrangement of Elton John's Your Song oh, right now. Wow. And it's actually, I had a, I practiced it today and it went the best that it's ever gone. So I guess that that's, that's what happens from the quarantine. <laughs> uh, maybe one of these days you can um, play the cello for us on the podcast here. Wink, wink. <laughs> Ooh, actually, you know what? Maybe you I could, could do that. You could. <laughs> you know, if we don't have something to do for our intro, then. That would be something that I could do. I could there you go. perform my little Your Song arrangement. Original score, soul. <laughs> exactly. Nice. True, true, true. Yeah, it's funny because um, you're talking about being quarantined um, in New York, where you are, which I know is what the highest levels anywhere else in the States right now. And uh, I'm in Florida, a little bit more re uh, relaxed, I should say, but still some quarantine going on down in Miami and stuff. Fort Lauderdale, and then I'm in the West Palm Beach area by the, by the airport, not so much. But put it this way, um, the roads are empty. Um, I have the opposite experience of you. I actually, for my real-life job, I have to work six days a week forced because there's people who can't be out. They're older. They have to call in sick. So we have to pick up the slack for them. So I'm on the road every almost every day now. And um, uh, I hate to say it, but once benefit for me is that the roads are empty i get to point a to point b half the time normally with traffic being heavy you know so in that in that one sense i am on the road i really don't have time at home anymore as i used to but just being out there it's eerie to see empty roads closed businesses you know i feel for those people who can't go to work or maybe not getting a paycheck or just scared you know um only the supermarkets down here are open uh pretty much so uh, I'm looking at a different side of it. It's like an empty world down here. It, it's just eerie, man. I've never seen anything like this before. So, yeah. So I've been busy in, in the middle of all of this, believe it or not. Yeah. I've been looking at pictures of the city because that, that's something that I thought would be particularly interesting um, at, during this time from everything that I've heard. And I looked, there was this New York Post article that I looked at and it had a bunch of pictures of normally very very crowded parts of the city like times square 34th street which if you're not a new york native that's about where the empire state building is and a lot of other shops and malls and also the macy's which macy's i'm sure right at the corner yeah i'm sure many people know about that one 34th um, and 7th it's just completely deserted and this is there, there was a picture um so if you're if you're a new york native you know that you should not be going to Times Square at around 8 p.m. and at around 10, 30 to 11, because that's when the Broadway shows start and when they end, Yep. because that's when Times Square is the busiest, especially when they end, because people like to linger around Times Square because a lot of tourists go to those shows. But there was a picture taken about a week ago, and that's not even the worst time that it's been here in New York, and Times Square was just completely empty, like right when all the shows got out, and that was wild for me to see. And... I've I've been considering actually hopping in my car and just going out there and just not leaving the car just to see what it's like because it's apparently really really you know interesting to see something like that around here. But yeah, go for a spin down Seventh or Broadway or something, man. Jeez, I know. Yeah, 
I, I, I'm far away, but I could see the pictures too. And like, this is just eerie, to say the least. Yeah, it's a lot. It is a lot. But um, on on a more, um, I think a, a subject that most people here are able to relate to and and speak about a little bit more um, than our personal experiences, which are personal to us. Something that I'm sure uh, everybody has kept a close eye on is the airline industry and how that is taking how they're all taking a major toll right now because of all the travel restrictions and the decline in air travel i i saw a graph actually that showed the demand for air travel i think i think it was demand by like passenger bookings or something and it's been on a study steady uptrend like all these years and then it just made a huge dip and it's around the time that it was when 9-11 hit and it's really scary to see that as somebody who loves air travel because you know you don't want those businesses to fail nope and they're actually saying it's worse than 9-11 um the the, the effect of it you know 9-11 was uh, for a week and then everything opened back up it's we're going to be going in two three weeks with with uh, empty airplanes i mean I saw, you saw a graph, but I saw pictures of airplanes parked up in different airports lined up one behind the other with nowhere to go. I always thought, I thought it was like 7-3 max. I was like, no, these are just different airlines. Everybody's parking everything, you know. Um, <clears throat> I happen to be a part of a, a flight attendant group because I'm an ex-flight attendant. And uh, these are active flight attendants who are flying now in real world. And they're talking about their experiences with the COVID-19 and the, and the kind of flying they're doing, number one, they're flying two, three, four, five passengers on an airplane. They have cut out all services, no meal service anymore. You know, don't even think about it. Some of them have gotten sick. They have caught the, uh, what's interesting, they have, some of them have been diagnosed with COVID-19. And what they're doing now is posting the flight, uh, the destination to and from, and what date it was to let other people know if they're on that flight, hey, check yourself you know what i mean so it, it's just sad all the way around for the airline industry for the airline people the workers you know the the furloughs that's coming behind this and so forth and just to see the planes on the ground man, it's really sad definitely yeah i you actually reminded me because i saw something this morning it was um some aerial shots from victorville which is um, mm-hmm. probably one of the most famous airplane storage or boneyard facilities that's out there and just seeing like brand well not brand new but practically brand new 787s Ugh. just on on the tarmac there it's just like crazy to see it it just that it, is it, nuts. it leaves an uneasy feeling um and you know nobody wants to see the airline industry fail at least from our our perspective and i think in general people would be a little bit frustrated if they weren't able to fly anywhere after this from the world's perspective i mean the less airlines you have the more the higher the prices there's no competition so we don't want to see airlines go under but unfortunately i think some of them are going to go under just because it is they can't stay afloat yeah that's what i've been worried about myself is um budget airlines really um really really encourage larger commercial airlines to like put better prices out there and they're also the ones who are at the most at risk i think from you know having their having well just like having themselves go bankrupt and that's that's weird to think about um but very weird but i think to bring i think to bring a bright side to this conversation which (laughs) yeah we need it (laughs) yeah and and also that's something that we've been trying to do is look at actually that's something that we try to do all the time here at InFlight is try to see both sides of the situation in order to make sure that we're not just like Debbie Downers or we're not overly optimistic about things. Um, in this case, to prevent being a Debbie Downer. Um, <laughs> uh, one thing that makes this different is that oil prices have been really low. And also, if you think about it, while this is going to make a lot of airlines go bankrupt, it's also going to change the industry significantly and change one thing that actually has been a major front of discussion for quite a few years, which is how to deal with um, recirculated air inside the cabins. Um, True. I know that when I visited uh, the Everett factory three or four years ago, 
there was a brief conversation about things that they're doing to fix that, um, such as the the Dreamliner and seven eight seven. Yeah, the system. Yeah, the Dreamliner having that brand new system in there, and also the they're working on the um, Airbus at that time was starting to unveil their special blacklight bathrooms that would kill all the germs and such. Wow. And yeah, and I think that if you look at it from that perspective, that would be something that would encourage. This would be something that would encourage that to be continued upon, and although it's going to hurt in the meantime because airlines are going to suffer and some of your favorite airlines might go under on the bright side, we might get some nice reform that is going to help keep us safer in the future. So that something like this will be a lot more preventable because I'm sure with a more popular, with a more, um, with, with a better recirculation system, then viruses won't spread as badly because the air isn't just getting recirculated recirculated it's getting it's like getting taken out of the plane and then that'll help prevent stuff i think you're right i think out of all of this when this is said and done there's going to be a lot of lessons to learn and apply and that's one main thing you're stuck in a cabin you know with these long flights coming up long flights that we have already how do you minimize transmission of any kind of diseases and stuff and that black light thing sounds like exciting to me like yeah that would be good so i like that Another somewhat bright note, and you know we're hanging on for hope on this one, is uh, FS Expo, Flight Sim Expo 2020 in Vegas. Um, they did put out a statement here recently. Um, basically, it says, based on recent developments in Las Vegas and around the world, it's no longer possible to run Flight Sim Expo 2020 as originally planned. However, they didn't change the date yet. What they're calling on is actually going to be up to us to determine what happens and when it happens and how it goes down. So basically what they're doing for Flight Sim Expo is they're um, currently polling all the attendees and partners to determine whether they would like to, to cancel it or postpone the event. Um, so anybody who is a registered attendee, they did send you out an email and um, they did pause the, all the registrations for now. But if you're already registered, they want to know what do you guys think. There's a survey that they sent out. Do you want it canceled? Do you want it postponed? Or how do you want it? So if you guys listen to this and you're a registered attendee, just reach out to them and give them, give them your opinion. And based on that is what they're going to use to determine how they go forward. But they have not canceled it yet so far. Um, they did say that um, whether or not the event moves forward, all flights it makes a participant will have the ability to cancel their registration and receive a full refund. Right. So if you did, you're going to get a full refund. Uh, and they'll they'll provide more information in the coming days that they said about it also. Also, if you booked rooms at the Tropicana uh, in Vegas, uh, you may cancel it free of charge within 48 hours of the check-in. So two days before, you can say, you know what, I don't want to go. So if they decide to keep it or whatever date it is, and two days before the event, you can cancel up to that time. If, you, if you're not well, if you don't feel like going, if you don't want to travel or whatever. So that's what's going on with Flight Sim Expo. So... um. I would love for it to happen. You know, I, it would be sad for it not to happen. As far as date, I don't know. They're still over, what, um, 80 days before the flight to Mexico takes place, I want to say. It's still a while away out. So it's not just around the corner. But there's time. You know, a lot can happen within the next 40 days, within the next, you know, month and a half, month and a week. You never know. We'll see what happens with what they're trying to get the economy back up you know, while balancing people's well-being and the COVID-19 disease. So we'll see, man. But that's the latest from Flight Sim Expo. So if you're a registered, um, if you're already registered, check your email. They sent you something out. It's a poll. And based on what you say, they're going to determine how to move forward with it. So that's one thing to look forward to. Yeah, I think you should definitely, if you're, if you're an attendee, I definitely think that you should look out to do that because then we might get something that's even better and that will like change future flight sim expos for the best, you know? Exactly. Um, exactly. Another thing that I, I think it's cool to keep out, keep an eye out on the community. Um, unfortunately I missed this, but, um, VAT sims, uh, cross the pond is coming up very soon as well. And that's something that 
I think that people would really, really enjoy doing. I've noticed um, every single day on VatSpy, there's so many more people and yes. I'd love to see it because it shows it shows like the resistance of our community at least. And also that we're really, really capable of coming together during these times and having fun. Like I've seen so many controllers on and controllers in places that I've hardly ever seen before. And that's really great because I know that whenever I fly in VATSEM, I try to go to where controllers are. And yep. with that said, if there is a controller in a place that I've never been to, maybe I'll head on over there and I'll see what they're all about. And that's something that's really exciting that's yeah. happening. I mean, aren't we lucky to have a hobby where we can have so many people online at the same time um, participating and enjoying this hobby together? Controllers and, and uh, flyers are like, so that's one thing for our community that I look forward to doing and flying and streaming and being online. It's here for us. So that's a one byproduct of what's going on with this quarantine. So be happy we have it, guys. Absolutely. Definitely. Be happy we have that. Yeah. If there's um if there's anything you want us to know about how you're dealing with the quarantine or anything you want us to talk about, please let us know. Um so that we can make sure to cover it up because I have a lot more downtime in order that so I can get some comments together and I can plan some things out for us and uh norm and i will also be trying to air as many episodes as we can to get us all through this and also um just to talk with you guys more because that's ultimately the goal and it's it's been great so far so might as well use it as a coping method no (laughs) exactly um but yeah now we are off to our interview on this week's episode we are joined by vertical sim He is a prominent scenery developer who has made gorgeous airports such as New Orleans, Long Island MacArthur, and Baltimore International Airport. He is currently working on Tampa International Airport, which we are all looking forward to. We are very excited to have him on the show. We welcome Vertical Sim. Thank you very much. How has your evening been so far? I'm doing pretty good. What about yourself? Um, I'm all right. Um... I don't know. I we had some really nice weather in New York for these past two days. It was near the sixties. Actually, no, it was in the sixties, but now it's gotten colder and I'm starting to get like the, the winter blues again, even though it's just one day and it's fifty. So I I was I've been like really active these past few days running and stuff, but now I just do not want to go outside. <laughs> well technically come go ahead. I was going to say, technically, 60 in Florida is actually winter for us down here, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just about to say that. You could join me in XP in the 88-degree heat tomorrow. Oh, well, look uh, at you. Nice. Yeah, that's why I'm hoping that I will get to go to university in Atlanta, because if I get to do that, then I don't have to suffer with this. And I get to... Um, I get to enjoy the people in the South who don't know what winter is and freak out when there's snow and cancel school. <laughs> <laughs> that is Atlanta, definitely. Hey. So tell us a little bit about your scenery development, um, like your your road to scenery development. How did it start and why flight simulation? So basically, I got into flight simulation way back when I was a child. Um, and I took a break from it for a while, went up to some other games and clans and whatever. And then I came back to it. Uh, on X-Plane 10, and I thought, oh, this is so much better than, you know, FSX. Long behold, I didn't know P3D was the thing at the time, but <laughs> I uh, came back into it, and, you know, I flew for a while, I did this and that, and then I started noticing that there's a lot of airports missing, especially in the U.S., and there still is. Um, but I was like, hey, I wonder if I could make these airports, you know, like I saw some of how the other developers were doing them and whatnot. And I finally got into it. I'm like, hey, I'm going to start learning this and that. Took me a heck of a long time. Probably spent way more time on it than I should have. But uh, and he wanted to make a Tampa for X-Plane because there wasn't one. There was a nice one for P3D and FSX, you know, fly Tampas. Just like, hey, I can, I can maybe make something. I know not, not of that quality, but something, you know, that I could do. So I started learning the basics of WED you know, using orthoimagery and all that. And then you started combining them into one thing. And then that's where you see eventually got to the freeware release of the Tampa, which I thought was funny that I'm working on the same one that I did back then two years ago when I first started. 
and that scenery kind of like propelled me into it and you know because people were asking for me to make different airports and whatnot and i saw oh i can maybe you know make some money off of this and that's something that i love to do and i do on my own time while i'm in school so and that eventually kind of curtailed to what it is now it's funny you said tampa as the first airport because what draw what brought me your attention was the smaller airports you were doing even before tampa you know was a thing you were talking about you were doing the little regional airports that were definitely missing in next plane. Everybody's doing LA and New York and stuff. So, you know, it's funny you said Tampa is the one that got you started in it. Well, I know. I thought that was funny too because, you know, I tend to focus on like the smaller ones, like you were saying. But Tampa was the one that kind of like, because, you know, it's being a Tampa native, it, it's important to have it in Stim because everybody likes flying into their hometown. True. You know, true, true, true. So. Yep. I mean, I've been lucky enough for you to um, show some screenshots um, during uh, some of my streams. And I have to tell you, man, being at the airport and in the mall across the street from the airport, myself, and look at the screenshots you've put up, I could literally, I saw myself standing there like, yeah, this is exactly what it looks like. I mean, I, I've been pushing you to get this airport out, but I realized that it takes a long time. And how long would you say it would take or does it take to develop an airport? I mean, it's really dependent on a lot of different things, like, you know, what's the availability of uh, ortho imagery, you know, how big is the airport, what class is it, what, you know, does it take to get real-life photos, or just to have, like, Google Street View and stuff like that, um, you know, and how complex are the buildings, like, Tampa's main terminal is very complicated, because you have, you know, Two big garages, four air sides, monorails, like six garages, you know, outside the airport, you know. And uh, the thing with Tampa that it's taken so long is that it had so much surrounding scenery that you had to do that, you know, you absolutely cannot leave it off because it's essential to the airport. You know, if you're saying with the mall uh, that's right next to the airport, you know, you got, um, sorry, I can't think of the name. That it's like right off the left side on a little peninsula area. Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, and um, there's re restoration hardware that you put in there also. That rooftop place I was standing on, taking pictures of the airplanes coming in. Oh yeah, that's yeah. there. I mean, so, how do you how do you decide like how far out outside the airport do you go, um, including you know the different buildings and stuff out the airport? How do how do you decide that? Um. It's usually more the lines of are things like iconic, like you were saying with the restoration hardware in the mall, like that's pretty iconic, you know, especially that it's right near the airport. Um, is there something, you know, that's memorable about it? You know, what's the size of it? Like if it's a small house that's around it, you know, you could, you know, throw down like a auto gym building and stuff like that. But um, if it's more like something that's complex and noticeable, then that's where you kind of draw the line. Um, and it's also dependent on, you know, like how far does your ortho imagery reach out? Is it like go to here to there? Does it stretch out to here? You know? Um, so that's pretty much how you decide that. So we've heard, uh, well, I've heard, um, this is before Norm was on the show, but I've heard that a lot of people who develop sceneries try to understand the culture of the airport or the little nuances of the airport that they're making in order to make it come to life more is that something that you do as well oh yeah of course um <laughs> yeah it's a funny thing because i do a lot of studying for school but i also do a lot of studying with you know watching airport videos of yeah <laughs> people take off and landing and plane spotting videos which is funny because there's a guy who actually goes to tampa international every day and he plane spots and he records it and puts it on YouTube. So I kind of, you know, like watch it and look out for things like, oh, this is now an LED light or this is now, you know, this is over here now. So, you know, and then you make it to current of what you have for the ortho imagery that comes with the airport. But, you know, those things, little things you can kind of notice and, you know, you study like, what does the concrete look like? What colors the grass? How much grass? You know, because you can't see these things just from different imagery. So it's better if you can have video and whatnot, you know. Yeah, it's funny about um, concrete imagery. Um, <clears throat> not sure if it was um, 
uh, one of your airports, was it um, Mississippi, New Orleans, or was it Corpus Christi? But I was looking, I was pushing back and looking on the ground going, wow, you got the drain, the drainage system down. Like, how do you get that? You know? Oh, I think you're thinking of Spokane. Spokane. How do you get the yeah. drainage system like to be in the right place? It's crazy. Well, I think it's more of a, like, there is some details that you can pick out from your imagery. Um, that you could see, you know, you see like black lines for that. But I thought those would have been the holes in the concrete, but I found out they were grates from actually studying pushback videos <laughs> and stuff like that. So, you know, you kind of just pick up on those little things. You know, you learn like, well, that's interesting too, is you have to watch like the flows of the traffic because you could put that in the, I'm sure you guys have all heard of World Editor. You have to make flows. So, you know, all the different airports have different flows and whatnot. If, you know, what runways do they mainly use? You know, one side could be for landing, one side could be for takeoff, you know. And those little things you can actually put into the airport. Um, and I think that's something that people really don't, like, see particularly how hard, like, you do have to study them kind of to match what they are. You know, I mean, there's some things you can't nail 100%, but it gives you an insight, you know, of to what the airport kind of is. So and you... Sorry. No, you can continue. I was uh, going to say, because Tampa, they actually have their own plane spotters page, actually. They're a very like friendly plane spotter airport, which helps us out a lot because we can get uh, up and close to very good stuff. So we can match it quite close to real life. Because, I mean, I have like <laughs> probably like almost 2,000 photos of the airport <laughs> stored in Google. So, you know. So wow. you, you, it seems like you go through a lot with videos and you try to get videos to, um, to match the airport. Is that, is that about accurate? Yeah. I mean, that's pretty accurate. It'll be photos, videos, um, you know, I'll take someone with me to go and, you know, photograph around and whatnot as close as I can. There's obviously some things you can't do, but, right. uh, like I was lucky enough to win a spot on the, uh, Tampa will hold plane spotter tours where mm -hmm. they'll drive you around the airport. Oh, that's great. Yep. And then they'll, uh, you know, take you around and you can get a bunch of pictures and stuff like that. A plane spotter tour. Sorry, I've never heard of this before. This Neither is a thing, I. actually. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you basically get a spot and you just drive around the airport and you're able to actually um, just get close to the airplane. How close we're talking about here? They can get you pretty close. Um, you know, as long as you don't disturb traffic flow and whatnot, they'll drive you around on their airport buses. You can go get some good shots of them landing. But that also gives me good opportunities to get pictures of things again. Yeah, is there is there like stuff that you have to guess? Because I imagine there are points where you only have a video or you only have a photo of a specific area and you kind of are able to make out a certain detail, but you're also not 100% able to see it Um are those, are, those, are those moments where you go into like a guessing mode where you try to figure out well you, you make like an educated guess about what is there or do you just try to keep it accurate with the information that you have um yeah that can happen quite a bit actually because in certain areas with the architecture of the airport you can't see what's going on especially like below like the terminal sites or I guess you say the air sites, there's certain like different like gutters and, you know, different things sticking out of the wall that you can't really see from satellite imagery or you can't get access to. And that's why I was saying like, it's very important to get like access to the real airport um, as much as you can, you know, um, a lot of like bigger names will do it, you know, like flight beam, they do surveys and whatnot of their airports. So like when I mean, it helps out, it helps out a lot so that, minimizes your usage of the guessing game yeah you could say so would wow. you would you say that there's been an airport that's actually been that's had more guessing than other airports or is it kind of just equal overall because <sighs> i mean if you look online there's pretty there's pretty like decent imagery for almost all the well actually all the airports in the world because of google and bing and all of that but i can imagine that when it comes to some finer details, there's other airports that are a lot less documented. Um, 
I think it depends on, you know, the varying degrees of how complex the objects are, usually. Um, some terminals like Tampa, you can only see so much from the imagery where you kind of have to use your, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Guesstimation. Your intellect, <laughs> your intellect for something. Yeah, something like that. Um, you know, try to figure it out the best you can. Or, you know, you have to see if you can look around to find people who are around in the place community. Then I've had people message me and I've told them, oh, hey, can you get pictures for me? You know, they'll say they love the airport and they'll, they'll tell me that, oh, there's this update going on with the airport in real life. So I'll go put that in my airport to the next update. Um, like next, there'll be an update for Cedar Rapids because they're expanding the terminal. So I'll be putting that in there and then they extend to the cargo pad, which, you know, you put these things into there to try and keep it up to date with, you know, all the updates, which it can be tough because it's, it's a little hard to keep up. But it seems like I've had bad luck where every single airport I've worked on, I think besides Islip, I think, has had some kind of expansion going on <laughs> at some point. So. Wow. I actually didn't even realize that you updated your airports because I have a, quite a few of them and I haven't gone back mm -hmm. to check on it. Um, like for instance, Corpus Christi, you know, the, the out front had with the parking structures and the blue, was it like blue tents or something like that they have? Yeah. yeah. It's like some kind of over yeah that, yeah. that detail just gave that airport like such a, that, Upgrade. uh, personal mm -hmm. touch. You know, I love that. And by the way, if you guys don't know yet, it's a uh, vertical sims.com is the website. He's got all his sceneries on there and a bunch of other stuff I'm going to ask you about later on, but. Just check it out, verticalsims.com. You'll see all the airports he's done there, and they're beautiful, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I mean, um, I wasn't extremely familiar with you before um, Norm suggested that you be on the show. And, of course, the first step to the whole process is of, um, going on the person's website. Um, you do have great scenery, I will say, um, and I will mm -hmm. definitely be picking some up soon. Um, but I, I also... I, I also remember your website from um, I I personally like to call it the the tree movement because there was this month or two last year um, where it seemed like everybody was releasing these uh, tree upgrades for X plane in order to mm -hmm. in order to like improve it and yours is on there um, and then I also noticed that V states is on there which is a free ortho imagery um, source. So what made you decide to do those? And because that's branching off from um, airport scenery and going more into global scenery. What made you decide to do that? Well, I mean, the main inspiration that came from V-States was more the fact that there wasn't really an easy ortho program anywhere out there where like that was already pre-made for the U.S. You know, like there's Spain UHD and all these other ones and Forkboy, which is nice, but didn't quite like fit my taste of realism because I'm a very like <sighs> I'm trying to think of the word like a realistic person, but I think there's like an artistry style and stuff like that to it. I, you know, we'll just say I'm realist, so I try to make everything as real as possible. Um, goes through life make specs. It, you want to make it true to life. You're basically saying. Yep, yeah, and I want to make it feel alive, and so I didn't want to do the manual work of Forkboy, and I wanted to make it look a little better. So. I kind of learned how to do certain things and color correct it with batch color correcting and whatnot. And then I started packaging them up and then you upload them for people to download. And I decided to do my home state of Florida because, you know, it's the home state. <laughs> um, and then it kind of just spiraled up from there and got to what it was. And I think there's only the five or six states left to do, I think, somewhere around there. Jeez, I haven't been keeping up because I remember when Florida came out, it was the first one you did. And then all of a sudden you had like two or three more going. So how many states mm -hmm. left you said that now you're done the entire U.S.? I think there's only like two or, or I'm sorry, like five or six, I think, left. Yeah. So for all you guys who are flying, if you want to get ortho, without doing the work of setting up our orthophorex B and stuff. This is the easy, easy, easy way to go to get it done. Just have the hard drive space and you guys are good. But definitely. I mean, how do you find time with the scenery developing and doing um, V-States ortho stuff? How do you do that? Um, it just comes down to pretty much time management. Um, 
it's it's finding that crossing line between you know like what you do for your daily life and honestly i let it usually run when i go to bed at night to download all the imagery and then i'll bring it all in and i'll color correct it in the morning before i go to school so i'll let the batch coloring run throughout the day while i'm at school then i come back at night and then i well run my day and then i start working on it again that's pretty similar to things that I do. I know that um, I, I got a bunch of uh, new games over um, my winter break um, around mm-hmm. the, the the holiday, and um, I got Red Dead Redemption Two, which is a huge game, <laughs> and I got a bunch of other games. And I just um, I installed TeamViewer on my computer, and I just um, we I was going upstate away from my house and I just bricked my Wi-Fi and downloaded everything while I was away. And then when I came back, it was all good. Um, you said you have three more states left. Um, it, so it, it looks like when I look at it, that you have some on your Google drive server and some on the Seedbox server. Um, is that just, does that just come down to like space? Um, because some, some are larger than others. It's more the fact that uh, there's no really way to download it from Google, which is originally what I started it on, if you don't have an account with Google, a Google Drive account. So I found a uh, website that would host it for me. So it's an alternative server for those who can't use Google. Google is faster, but it has limits. So if too many people download stuff, they'll throttle it downloads, and then it'll reach, you can't download any. So that's a backup server box. Oh, okay. So in conjunction with the ortho scenery, you have V trees also. Like you redo the tree types. I mean, tell me about the tree stuff. <laughs> that's interesting. The trees, the V trees was actually it's a pretty fun project. Um, I just didn't find any of the other add-ons kind of suited the particular taste, and they all seemed like they were too light or they were too. I was going to say like bushy like more than mm-hmm. looking like forest so i thought there was a good line in there to find something to do with that um then i didn't want to take it to a super like payware kind of aspect to it which i probably could have if i chose to but that was just kind of a fun project that i wanted to work on for a little so, bit so basically you are competing with orbix here <laughs> You got the sceneries, you got the ortho, you got the trees. You know, I know you're not trying to do that, but that's the level of what you're doing, and you're doing it by yourself. You know what I mean? While going to school, I mean, that's impressive. That's oh, the thing you. I think about. Oh, absolutely. Definitely impressive. You know, and um, not only that, so I'm not sure if you know, he's also dabbling in sounds. He's got a sound pack, quote unquote, for the 757, right? Yep. The uh, wow. yeah. CFMs. Yeah, I was about to ask about that. Um, well, well, first of all, this is just a personal question. <laughs> does it mm-hmm. does it work with the seven six seven? If I were to do that, I have not tested it with that. It could. There's a good chance that it will. Um, it. I have not tested it though, so I can't really give you an answer at the time. I I can be your your test dummy then. I'll try. Um, sure. But um. Yeah, so sound it's kind of it's kind of funny because you go on your website and then there's your products, your your V trees, your V states, and then you go to freeware, and then there's Houston, and then there's just a sound pack out of nowhere. So how did <laughs> how, yeah how did how did sounds come? And did you record these sounds yourself? Um, just tell me. I'm, I'm curious about what the story is here because they they sound amazing. Um, I oh. I I actually have them on my seven five. Okay. Um, with the sounds, it kind of just came as a whim because I didn't like the default flight factor sounds. So I wanted to change them because, you know, I got tired of them after a while. And I figured like, hey, I need to do something with this because these sound not very good. They are no weak. They're definitely anyone, weak. You know, no, no and they offense. needed a lot of work. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to change these because I fly that plane a lot. You know, and that's the other thing. Many people think like, oh, senior developers don't fly at all. You know, we don't use VATSIM and whatnot. And I'm like, well, you guys are totally wrong. You know. Good question. How often do you fly uh, A to B I mean, without just testing? 
I actually haven't flown in three to four months, surprisingly. I mean, I'll screw around in the sim every once in a while when I get bored of, you know, working on airports. But I haven't done, like, a uh, commercial flight in a while. I used to do a lot of bats and flying. But I think Tampa is just take me by the whim, kind of, because there's so many different, you know, the airport's really hard to work on. So, so basically, would you say it's a sacrifice then for you developing stuff for X-Plane makes you not be able to fly X-Plane? Is that, is that a sacrifice, you would say? Uh, I guess it's more the fact that the level of airport that you choose to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to find room all the time because it's like a very like relaxing tool for me too. Outside of my other hobbies. So I try to make sure I at least try to get in flights every once in a while. You know, and then keep my flying skills relevant. Because I don't <laughs> want to look like that new Von Batsim. Yeah. It <laughs> doesn't know what they're doing. True. So Yeah. I had that once, actually. Um, I, I haven't been flying as much as I could lately. But I remember uh, I took like two years away from flight simming because... I used to fly on a 2012 iMac and um, I flew on X-Plane 10 with that and it it worked for a while, but it got to the point once they kept on upgrading X-Plane 10 that I could only fly the simulator if I had my weather turned off, all my HDR turned down and everything on like almost its lowest setting in order for stuff to work. And that just became just wasn't enjoyable anymore and i remember mm-hmm. um i i got a pc finally after about two years and then i went on batsim for the first time and i made sure that i did a route that i had done before a lot um i kind of have i think everybody every sim pilot has this but i have one route that i am like extremely familiar on. with yeah i yeah. know it so well and it's um lax to san francisco um okay I, I know that route, like the back of my hand, I can put in like all the perf data for most aircraft on there. And I won't <laughs> like even need to look at it on SimBrief. Um, the I, I know arrival in San Francisco. It, it's yeah, it's, it's the Ventura eight departure, the San Marcos transition surfer, <laughs> then the surfer it's Jeez. four now, the surfer four arrival to um, ILS two eight <laughs> left. <laughs> yeah. I know it really well. Um, and I just remember completely blanking and not knowing <laughs> what I was doing. Uh, the controller asked me to give my um, to to uh, read back the what was it called um, my clearance, and I just mm-hmm. remember not knowing what half the things he said were, and I was like, "Uh oh, <laughs> what did <laughs> I just walk myself into?" <laughs> yeah, now, mine is uh, Fort Lauderdale, Tampa. It's it's quick route to test a new airplane or a new scenery or whatever well new scenery coming up tampa but yeah it's like it's like a 30 minute flight you go up uh, level off at twenty one thousand feet you're descending into tampa coming in what one left with mm-hmm. my favorite approach Always. into tampa so yeah i have one of those man it just works perfectly when i want to test an airplane or a new thing you put in this thing you're short enough but um for your sceneries i mean let me go back to that a second here um a lot of People complain about um, sceneries uh, taking up too much FPS. How do you ensure that? I mean, is it a technical thing? I have no idea how you do that. But how do you ensure that the scenery is not like frame hungry or something like that? It's more a lot of like optimization and beta testing with people. Uh, it, could, it could vary, you know, on some people's systems, but overall. I'm glad I have a middle middle high system range because I can get the you know closer results of the highest PC and results of the lowest PC. So it's a lot of testing and learning how to actually optimize your models, unlike other certain developers. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. So so I actually recently uh, got into game design. Um, okay. it's, it's a, it's, it's something I'm doing at my school. I've been doing coding for quite a bit. Um, my favorite is Linux, but I'm taking a class on game design right now and we're using, uh, unity. And I was, uh, recently, I recently had the epiphany as to how optimization works with textures and such. Um, does, 
Okay. Does X-Plane allow you to do any sort of optimization with the way that um, your scenery or the world generates? Or is Laminar like, very closed off about that? I imagine they're closed off with it, and it, it, it just has to do with textures. But I mean, the limit is that you can only use one texture per object. So you're kind of very limited in that aspect. Like other games, you normally uh, would have different, you know, textures you can use for different objects. You know, you could put in two textures for one object if you wanted to, which it's very vital for large and, you know, very complex objects. And you wouldn't have to worry about it looking good. With Explain, I've learned you've had to use a min occlusion or else it won't work. You know, and you kind of have to fake it with gradient tools sometimes because you're limited to that texture tool or to the one texture. So does that make it, does that make the development process for uh, certain textures longer because you need to figure out how to make it one texture? Yep, for sure. Because, you know, you're you're limited. There's only so much you can do with one texture. So you have to figure out a range between how much you're going to lose, or I guess you could say a ratio with how much resolution you're going to lose if you were to scale it down so you could fit more onto there. Because, you know, the ideal thing is to go all 4K, you know, no loss in there. But sometimes you have to sacrifice because of that limitation. So you brought up other games and how you are able to have two textures in other games. Do you have other like experiment? sorry i can't speak <laughs> do you have experience uh developing other games as well no not really i mean we've done a few like sample tests and things like unity and and whatnot but other than that i really haven't gotten much into it because x-plane development like airports seem to be the most enjoyable thing to do for me and it's what you know i'm passionate about doing for that i don't really care for the other stuff because, you know, doing other games is... Everybody else is doing them. There's very few little people doing airports for X-Play. Gotcha. Well, I mean, talk about other games. Well, let's talk about other simulators. Um, have you ever considered uh, doing um, senior development for D3D FSX? Or also, can you talk about Microsoft Flight Sim 2020? And what are your hopes for that as a developer now? So the general outlook so far for P3D and FSX that it could be a possibility if Microsoft 2020 was to be delayed by quite a margin. And that's just because I was trying to get my airports ready to be converted over to Microsoft 2020. And that'll kind of lead me into the other you know, opinion on 2020 is that it will probably be definite uh, competition will definitely be harder and the probably a lot of the lower tier devs will probably get thrown out the window at that point. So if you're kind of if you're not fully committed to it, you know, you're gonna have a really, really tough time. And I think a lot of other people who haven't really like took the time to work hard and polish the skills are gonna be, you know, struggling at it. I mean that includes me myself. Like there's some things that I'm still learning. You've only been doing this for two years, you know, two years plus. Um, but, uh, you know, you draw a lot of inspiration from some of the other people, you know, like Bill Womack and, uh, you know, some of the other people who are around the community. And you just learn and learn. Who I will mention, we've had on the show before, and he was talking about kind of going down the same track as you were with the whole uh, converting things, but also... Uh, he seemed at the time we interviewed him, which I know that was when uh, we knew a lot less about the simulator than we do now. He seemed mm -hmm. to be in a place where he was really uncertain about what senior development would be in the future for Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020. But I mean, right now, I, I don't. I'm, I'm curious if you agree with me. It looks like it actually looks pretty optimistic, um, and it looks like there's quite a bit of space for improvement. Although their default airports do look very, very nice because they did release that, um, what's it called? They released the... Um, the developer episode? Yeah, the developer episode. And it, it did look great, but it definitely looked like they had a lot of 
other places. Um, I, my personal theory is that if the default airports aren't amazing, like the the big ones like LAX and stuff, which mm-hmm. they look they look great, but I feel like scenery development might go in the direction where maybe it's it's the smaller airports that people focus on more or adding like little details here and there um anyway that was a a long a long rant but what do you what do you think like the space is going to be for developers going into microsoft flight simulator 2020 well it's so far what i see it as like i was saying it seems like a lot of the lower tiers will definitely kind of be struggling because they can't keep up with the quality that Microsoft puts out. So like saying, if you're not committed to it, but I also think it's important to realize that not every airport is going to be like that. Um, A lot of, they said, I think they were doing what 80 airports and they kind of gave a big, like, Oh, it could be anything from us just putting the right taxi signs in place. Cause they were saying, I think that they pulled data from FSX times, which is, you know, not not very good. So we'll have to see if they develop like a gateway system like Xplane has, which is amazing. Like there's nothing else like it so far. Um, and it's also going to be dependent on how well people can use their tools and things in that matter. Because if they have such a complicated UI that you can't get into it, then you're going to see less and less people want to pick it up. And then you're going to see just people kind of like Orbix kind of take over in that realm. Or, you know, people who have had time to learn the system before everyone else. And they have the people and the numbers and all that. So it's going to be like a really, really tough ball game, I think. But I think you're still going to have the need for those custom airports. Because Microsoft isn't going to be able to put into the level of detail that some of these people are able to do. Um, you know, because they're not going to be paying people to go out and go take pictures of these airports and do that. So I think there's still definitely going to be a space. Which, for my opinion, too, it could mean even a switch back to regional airports for me. Because I know for sure those aren't going to be very good in the new sim. Especially like GA airports, you know, you have you have a lot of options. So I used to be kind of like, uh, I don't know, like, am I kind of like done with this? This is not the kid you on. And now it's switched to more of like you're saying with an optimistic outlook where, you know, I have space to do what I have to do, you know. Let me ask you this question, though, <clears throat> too. From mm-hmm. a simmer's perspective, what is your excitement level? And from a developer's perspective, what is your excitement level about Microsoft 2020? So, so far during the alpha, I'm pretty much very optimistic for the new sim. And I think it'll make my stuff look better. And I think everyone else's stuff is going to look better. And things are going to run better and it's going to feel so much greater than the systems that we've been lagging on OpenGL because, you know, it's really, really bad and outdated technology and are still waiting on Vulkan and it's been such a long time that nobody, people are kind of getting fed up with it and getting frustrated with all the crashes and you can't run anything without bad FPS <laughs> and it's like, oh, you know, put us out of our misery kind of thing. So I'm hoping it might be a little bit of a breather for everyone. Um, and I'm excited because, you know, if it makes my stuff look better, because, you know, that's the thing, X-Plane's lighting system is so bad, you cannot, like, do very much to make it look good. Um, besides, you know, like, PBR and stuff like that, that's it, you can't do anything else. So, I think it's going to increase our range of scopes, and, you know, I love to have people walking around on the airport, you know, by default, and have ramp workers, and trucks driving around and it all be done in the sim instead of you know trying to do it the x-plane way which is pretty bad so well i guess the future is going to be bright then because if you're the developer and you're looking at all these different angles that i haven't even thought about and you're excited about mm-hmm. it then i'm even more excited now for it when it comes out yeah. that's a good thing it's nice to see that you're optimistic about the whole thing too because uh one worry that I have had and something that I feel like I would pass on uh, pass on isn't the right word. One thing that I, I feel like I would have with this whole process is a, a fear of moving on to another simulator and something that I hadn't really experienced before, especially mm-hmm. with all of this competition that you're speaking of. Um, 
I mean, we talk about um, we, we've we've talked a lot about how it's going to be great, how there's a lot of competition in Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020 because it's going to push everybody to do better. I think it's I think it's going to be a really special, maybe not in a good way, but I guess we'll find out. Um, experience when everybody first gets access to it, um, besides people who have uh, developer previews and such, because mm-hmm. it's converging the P3D community with the X-Pain community. And in my personal opinion, they both have really, really great values on both sides. Like P3D users tend to value quality a lot and will kind of jump down the throats of people who don't really give it to them. And I don't like the jumping down the throats part, but I do highly respect the wanting quality part. Whereas mm-hmm. explain people are very much in the simulation hobby because it's their hobby and it's because it's something that they love and they're not about making the simulator look incredible. They're about having um, like the best enjoyment. access. Yeah. Enjoyment and the best mm-hmm. access to things as possible. Like XB and I have talked many, many times about how we love the community of explain. Um, and I've been no, um, it, it's been no secret that I'm frustrated with the, a lot of the ways that um, P3D runs. Like, for instance, I'm very frustrated with the fact that you have to get a camera plugin that mm-hmm. in order to like operate the camera. That just sounds ridiculous to me. That that sounds like I'm I'm being removed of a human right. <laughs> um, yep. And it's it's nice to see that you're you're optimistic about this whole thing. Uh, because we've we've heard a few times about people who are anxious about moving over to the new simulator, but also I feel like that energy is something that will also really help with the transition because everybody knows that this is going to be a major transition when it comes. Well, I mean, see, I don't want to see X-Plane fail because so far X-Plane is my favorite simulator, hands down. Nothing else comes down to what it is. But it seems this turned into more of like I'm gonna focus only solely on the flight model rather than, you know, fix everything else that's important in flying. Like, you know, the lighting, the weather, the you know, the, the, visual, the visuals flying, are the visuals, you know. Yeah. Those are all key things to, you know, be as a pilot and to look for. And if it's you cannot do that, then you're letting people down, kind of. And you know this whole thing about mobile, which I understand, but I think most of the Xplain user base is desktop for sure, and I think you're I think you're really letting people down when it's they're saying like we want this and that, and it's something that they need because they're still running off a very old architecture, and it's not fair to people who have put you know so much support behind Xplain, and you're going to kind of ignore them, but. I mean, I really I appreciate Austin and and all the Explain team, you know, for all they've done so far. Um, I just really hope they are able to kind of find a way to come back and swing back at Microsoft per se. Uh, you know, no, because I'm, I'm, I'm I, I think I think it. they're still you know having access to you know playing in the alpha and whatnot. I think there's still a few things that Explain does better, which that's all I'm going to speak on for that, but. I think it's still, you know, a very close competition. And I know a lot of people are highly appreciative of Explain are going to still stick with it, even though the new sim comes out. No, so. actually, I'm actually happy you're addressing that to Explain to say, hey, listen, step up your game a little bit here. You're going to you have some serious competition that might kill your sim. So hopefully, Austin, you know, yeah, flight modeling is great and I love it. That's why we have Explain. But the other stuff, the visuals, you know, the weather, uh, the sounds, all that stuff is important too, you know, at this stage of the game with the kind of computers that we have now that can run it. So I'm glad you as a developer is saying that and that hopefully they're listening to it. Well, I mean, that's where, that's where, you know, speaking on optimization and everything, because if I'm only limited by what they have on the hardware capabilities, then it's going to make, you know, my stuff all that much better with optimization, you know? Um, or it'll be making other people's stuff actually able to run, <laughs> you know. So, 
I think it'd be good for everyone all around. Absolutely. Competition is good. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting mm-hmm. that you talked about the whole um the the whole thing with with rendering and OpenGL uh because I always have the frustration when I leave the simulator and I enter another program and then I come back and um actually let me let me start it over. I always have the frustration when I leave a simula- the simulator and I go into another program and then have a very lag-free experience and really enjoy the whole time and then go back to explain and then have to... That's different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then have to like load the same exact textures and have that that um, that lag there. Annoyingness, um, yeah. Yeah, um, anybody on the Threshold uh, Discord server will know that I love um, Train Sim World and I'm a mm-hmm. big Train Simmer. And Train Sim World, um, although it has its faults, as every program does, is so pretty. Um, it, it, it looks so gorgeous and, but a a big frustration, I uh, actually, one thing I love about it is that they've optimized it so well that it's, it it can look gorgeous and it can run on extremely high settings and I have no problem. Whereas if I go to X-Plane, then um, you're pushing it. Yeah, exactly. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, 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 I hope that that's what's coming next with Vulcan for sure. Um. But I'm also optimistic with you. Um, after after seeing the SDK myself as well, um, I'm in the same place where X-Plane definitely does a lot of things better still. And I'm hoping that the X-Plane developers realize that as well. And they hop into uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020 and they see that... Um, they see they see that they still like excel in these places and they really take that and they run with it and mm-hmm. they they continue to make X-Plane amazing because I'm not going to stop playing X-Plane uh, when it the full product of Microsoft is released. Mm-hmm. Um, but I there's definitely some things that I'm, I'm with you on. Yeah. yeah, that they can that they can improve on. Once Vulcan is out, I feel like the game will start to really be changed and um you know if they're planning anything for x-plane 12 too they may have a, a lot to go for there yeah. mm-hmm. uh, on, a, on a little tangent away from this still in the developmental thing if you could talk a little bit about digital rights management drm for your stuff meaning that for people who, who don't know um you spend so much time developing your scenes your sceneries and you put it out there for purchase of course because you put so much work behind it and we want it but mm-hmm. pirating is there and you know, we don't condone it. Nobody condones it at all. But have you ever thought about putting DRM stuff on your your sceneries or what's the challenges with that or not? Or how does that work for you as a developer? Um, at least in the DRM scale, it's, it's kind of a useless thing because it, the money you have to invest to, you know, make keys, run the servers and all of that, it's really not worth it because people are going to find a way to pirate it no matter what now if i was selling a big product like an airplane and whatnot then i'll probably invest into it because the money you get back would be worth it but because scenery you know it's such a difference in the ratio of what airplanes sell compared to scenery there's pretty much no point in it um which it sucks because it's a big hit to us and you know all our hard work in it you know people don't realize that but there's only so much you can do, you know. It's just like every other industry has to deal with, and so. So that's basically the unfortunate point of having digital yes. things. It's just so easy for somebody to say, "Hey, here's a file. I'll use that." But I want—I mm-hmm. just wanted the audience to know about that. That's something that you have to battle with as a scenery developer. Is you know, spending so much time in your which you're making your products and then having people basically goes, ah, you know what, this is free to me, I'll have it. So yep. be aware of that, guys, in the community. Don't spread that stuff around. Just think about the person on the other end of it who is dedicating their time and their effort learning as they go to make this stuff good for us. Yeah, yeah. and also um, from my experience with, um, what's it called again? Um, the, the, the digital rights protection thing? Is that yeah, what it's DR- called? DRM. Digital yeah, rights digital rights management. management. Yeah, from my experience with DRMs as well, um, they're also, you know, they, it, it's not worth the time and the money sometimes to put them up. Um, 
and it's kind of, it's 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 an interesting thing because um it's it you're kind of putting time and effort to protect your product and it's frustrating to see people take advantage of that too because it's it's like they're they're it's it's like you have to pay to protect your product and that's just that, that I feel like that shouldn't really be the case I feel like mm-hmm. with with a community as as great as we have there should be a, a line where you're able to to trust other people to use your products in the way that they were intended well and I mean that's why I like to make note of you know people who actually like buy the stuff and support you like you need to be fully you know entrusted of them and you know, suit to them what they want, not people who, you know, abuse, you know, what you've done and everything like that, which I think is more the fair point to go with, but then just, you know, try and feed into all their madness where they think they can, you know, like overtake you and, you know, use you for which all your hard work that you've done. So I think that's the fine line. And these people are like more important than anyone else. Oh, yeah. Side question. Did you design your website, verticalsims.com? I've actually done most of it. I mean, I'm using WordPress, mm-hmm. uh, but most of the work I've kind of, you know, used some templates, but most of it has, yeah, pretty much been done by myself. I've had to learn website development as well. Oh, man. You guys have to see this website because I'm here looking at it and just seeing the, the, the pictures scroll through, like I can have it as a screensaver almost. It's pretty good. So you're. Yeah, I actually had to learn how to use After Effects for the intro on the website. <laughs> it's interesting that you asked that XP though, um, because I, um, I, I was scrolling through the products and um, I I do web development myself as well, and I looked through the code a few times. Um, <laughs> I, I inspected it, and it just reminded me of a lot of things that I did when I designed one of my websites. Um, that's no longer live, unfortunately. Um, it, it was it's it's in, it's really cool to see. Um, and you're you're really all around. It's very impressive. Um, Thank you. That, that you just you just. You were just like, oh, I don't like the sounds in the seven five seven, and you just made a sound pack, and you're like, oh, I don't like, I don't like the trees, and I, oh, I want Ortha to be more easily accessible to people, and you just did it. That's really commendable, I must say, because not many people are able to just jump and do that on oh, on yeah. a whim. Um, don't don't let him hate simulators because he'll do some on his own too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Microsoft and Xplain better better keep their their stuff together, otherwise. We may have vertical sims, uh, vertical sim simulator, <laughs> yeah. vertical sim sim. <laughs> um, well, um, it was great talking to you. Um, it, it's really been a blast, and I've art, I've just learned so much from even what has it been? It's been about uh, 51 minutes with you. I've already learned so much, um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what other work you do for uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020 and also um, what's on the horizon for you. Because uh, as I said, you're, you're so all around that I would not be surprised if I saw <laughs> like just like an aircraft come out tomorrow. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for being on the show and speaking with us. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's a pleasure having you here. Definitely. Definitely. And enjoyed it. <laughs>